Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, our bonus supplemental episodes, 100 Popes and 800 Years. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Hey everyone, first off, if you're still listening to this podcast after 100 episodes, thank you very much. When we started this, it seemed like such a huge task, 264 popes to cover. How could we possibly get too far along? And now we're 100 popes in, so it's time to take stock and see where exactly we've come and where we're going. First, let's ask ourselves, where were we last time we did one of these recaps? We were in the middle of a schism with the East. The Byzantine Empire has much more prominent and active in trying to control dogma, and the popes had to have their election confirmed by the emperor at Constantinople before they could be consecrated. Indeed, historians call most of the period we just finished covering from about 537 to 752 the Byzantine papacy. So when we last looked back, we were in the midst of this period. The Byzantine emperor had a huge role to play in the papacy, and many of the popes had served as papal diplomats to the court of the emperor. It was clear that the center of power was still Constantinople and the east. Now, this had its pluses in that for a while the emperor could protect the church from barbarian invasions, but it had much bigger drawbacks as emperors continually sought to impose their interpretation of church doctrine on the church. We saw this with monophysitism, monothelitism, with iconoclasm, they even went so far as to kidnap and martyr popes who stood in their way. But towards the end, Byzantine power started to wane in Italy. And as Byzantine emperors became more and more transitory and the Byzantine Empire itself more and more chaotic, and as the forces of Islam conquered much of its remaining territory, it really, really started to go downhill. And what we've seen is that as the Byzantine Empire withdrew, the popes were left holding on to the reins, not only of spiritual but temporal power, in most cases, and most notably that of St. Gregory the Great, they didn't want the temporal power, but someone had to take care of the people. And as we saw over the last 50 episodes, there's a gradual shift from Byzantine control to political independence for Rome, which, with the donations of Pepin and Charlemagne, lead to the establishment of our initial, our rudimentary papal states, where the Pope acts as the political sovereign over most of central Italy. This shift also coincided with the rise of the Carolingian dynasty in France and Germany and the foundation of the Holy Roman Empire to help defend the church from the Lombards and also the remains of the Byzantines in Italy. The popes turned to this new power in the West. They were fairly devout rulers and the popes asked them to help protect and guide the church. This, like the Byzantine arrangement, will have its pluses and its minuses as we'll soon see. One of the huge drawbacks of this whole movement is that the more the papacy becomes enmeshed in territorial and political sovereignty, the more politics and not spirituality became the dominating feature of papal life. Looking ahead, we're going to see more and more that the history of the papacy is not necessarily the history of saints or even the history of theologians or doers of good deeds, but rather secular rulers trying to hold on to power. Consequently, as spiritual qualifications become less and less important, and as political calculations become more and more essential to papal elections, the papacy is going to enter one of the worst and most scandalous periods of its 2,000-year histories. It's going, to get, it's going to get really bad, people, like really, really bad. And this is the period that the famous church scholar Cesar Baronius termed the saculum obscurum, or the dark age. 
So, so get ready, get ready. It's going to get a little depressing. But before we get too depressed, some good spiritual points from the last 50 episodes. First, the church had really expanded. Missionaries pushed into northern Scotland, Germany, the Netherlands, and will soon be heading to Scandinavia and Russia and much of the Balkans. Secondly, and this is a huge deal, we have to remember that in the past 50 episodes, we had the foundation of Benedictine monasticism. What started as a small attempt of one saintly man to live holiness in central Italy spread to become the defining church movement of this period. Monks were everywhere, and monasteries not only were centers of faith and holiness in the midst of political uncertainty, they preserved knowledge and civilization. Three of the last 50 popes were members of the Benedictines, Gregory the Great, Boniface IV, and Adeodatus II. And the Benedictines and their various reform movements will remain the spiritual powerhouse which will renew and purify the church for centuries to come. So now we look forward. So don't worry, it's not all darkness. In the next 50 episodes, we have one of the great popes still. We have several saints. And at the very end of it, we will be coming out of the dark ages towards a new era of holiness and reform in the church sparked by saintly reforming popes. So we'll be covering all the difficulties, all the darkness, all the scandalousness. But we'll also try and point out during this time the causes for hope, that the Lord brings up holiness and real saints in the midst of difficulty and despair. So enough with the summary and on with the story. Next up, we'll be talking about our 101st Pope, Gregory IV. So check back to hear about him next week. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com. There you can find our other podcasts as well, or you can find us on iTunes. Thank you and God bless you.